Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Blockhead listeners, welcome to a new episode, part two of our discussion with Khalid Birdsong, the great cartoonist behind Little Fried Chicken and Sushi at Go Comics, and also The Honey Buns, which you can read, as well as Fried Chicken and Sushi, on Instagram. So uh, be sure to check out Khalid's work both there, on Go Comics, and everywhere. Uh, today's discussion carries us far and wide, just as actually it takes us all the way to Japan and then back again. Uh, so get set for a good ride. In the meantime, we have what do we have? We have uh, an election coming up tomorrow. Wow. And by the time some of you listen to this, the election will have come and gone. And that at this vantage point right now is hard to believe that there will be a day when we have gotten past. November 3rd. It's it's hard to believe right now though that there will be a November 4th, 5th or 6th. We just don't know what to expect and uh, wow, you know, there's lots of rumors out there about what's going to happen tomorrow and how everyone's going to respond, but we have no idea at this point. And all I can say is get out there and vote. If you haven't already, Make sure you do. This is an election unlike any other. I know we say that every time, every four years, or every two years, or whatever. We always say this election is the most important election of our lifetime, but this certainly is. And uh, this certainly is the most important election of my lifetime and uh, that I can recall. And so I'm sure we're all feeling tense, a little bit excited, uh, and... A little wary, so let's see what happens. But um, in the meantime, yeah, let's just vote. Let's get it done. Let's get that job done. So I watched, uh, I watched the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, on Apple TV on my iPad, and it was fantastic. It was great. It was, uh, you know, I mean, it was okay. The, the experience of watching it on television is an entirely different one, right? You know, but those days are gone when we all used to sit around the TV together and uh, experience as a group an event like a television special. It doesn't even make any sense anymore, the, the phrase, you know, television special. Um, but so this this was different, but it was great, and I enjoyed it actually more than watching my DVD, because the picture was clearer, and it was really interesting from the point of view of somebody who likes to dabble in animation, uh, to see, you know, how quickly it was done, and the evidence of that therein, uh, in The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and despite the speed with which it was put together, and the same with the Christmas special, the charm of it and uh, the wit of it overrides all of that and, uh, and it feels organic and whole and it's got a great vibe to it and I still just love it and you know if you go back to those early episodes here on Blockhead uh, we talked a bit about Dean Spill 
and those wonderful backgrounds, you know, on the Peanuts uh, Halloween special, just so atmospheric and did not lose any of that quality. In fact, it seemed even more atmospheric because the colors were so much more vibrant uh, looking at it on my little, you know, my my iPad Pro, <laughs> which was was great. Anyway, I encourage you, uh, let's see, we've got one one day left to watch it, I think, November 1st. So, oh, actually, no, today's the second. Uh-oh, it's over and done with to watch it for free. Well, be looking for the Christmas special, okay? It'll be coming up soon enough, and uh, that'll be on Apple TV, and that will also be free to watch for several days. I think, uh, what was it again, between the 10th and, or 11th and 13th? So, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that also on my iPad. That'll be a unique experience. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's all assuming that we get through the next month uh, without any scars. And I'm, I'm hoping that we will. That we will round the corner and a new dawn will rise. So, I will leave it at that. And get right down to business here with the wonderful Khalid Birdsong. Has to be one of the nicest guys in comics. And what a joy it was to have the opportunity to talk with him. And uh, and I think that comes across. And I think you'll enjoy the rest of this conversation as well. Because it does take us to, uh, you know, Khalid's experiences abroad. And I think that's it's pretty cool. Okay, without further ado then, myself and Khalid Birdsong in conversation. And how old were you when you, you know, not to get too personal, but how old were you when you first went to Japan? I believe I was 20? 28 or so. Yeah, I was 20, 28. So it was a little bit later. And in fact, I was a little older compared to other people because the JET program usually sends uh, people over after college. And oh. so, you know, it's something that you do or maybe you study Japanese in college and you wanted to, you know, you want an exchange experience and then you graduate from college and then you go. And so most of the people that I met, they came over with me, were all 22, 23, just this is their oh, first yeah. job, first job out, out of college. And, oh, wow, I get to be in Japan. And for me, it was kind of like I had, you know, a lot of years of, of, of freelancing and then teaching and, and all of that. And then coming over to Japan and having that experience. And so, so yeah, it was, it, it was still early. And now I look at, back at it and say, boy, I was so young then and everything. But I didn't feel it at the time. Yeah. So, so then you come back to the United States, the two of you then, right? Yeah. And, and so what was that like? And, and I don't want to leave the J Japanese experience, uh, aside, um, the experience in Japan aside, uh, too quickly, but I just want to find out before I, I, I forget to ask, well, I mean, what, what did that feel like when you guys came back to the United States? Because you left, with kind of, you know, this, this feeling, uh, a bad feeling in a way that, that, uh, was kind of hanging over you. And so coming back, was it bittersweet? Was it, how did it feel? Uh, you know, it felt, it felt, it felt good. It felt good to come back because once again, chose a different experience. And so instead of going back to Atlanta or Orlando, Florida, we, you know, I took a chance. I wanted to go to Los Angeles and get that experience in California, and and that's where we we moved. And uh, for us, it was everything was brand new because I never lived in California, and she never lived in America. And so it was it was it was huge, but it was exciting to try something different. And 
you know, I had friends that were living there, so it was good to be able to see that. And my sister was there at that time. And so, you know, I wasn't, we weren't alone really. Uh, and so that was also great to have to come back in, but also to have these, these friends, uh, you know, there, uh, even, you know, my friend Jay, Jason was there. And so it was, it was a great place to kind of uh, have re-entry in some ways. And even in just being in California, you have more of an uh, influence from Asia. And so they had Japanese grocery stores that you could shop in. And so my wife could still get, you know, food and ingredients and all the things that she's familiar with. Uh, and so I think it was, it was good, but, but yeah, it was, it was definitely crazy to have to come back and, and get back into this life and, and even just the American way of being, you know, mm-hmm. in Japan, in Japan, people are very much about like, kind of holding their ego in and and not being kind of like so much of an individual in a way of, and and kind of fitting in. And then you come to America, especially Los Angeles, and you just have people doing and being whatever they want to be. And it's great, but it was a lot. It was definitely a culture shock of just like, whoa, this place is out out there. And, mm-hmm. and it was, but it was exciting. It was exciting to be in it. And so it took some getting used to, and my wife didn't know how to drive. She had to learn to drive in Los Angeles. Oh dear uh, Lord! <laughs> which was just the crazy, you know, just the craziest uh, traffic and driving and and everything. But but hey, she learned to drive in Los Angeles, so now <laughs> she's an amazing driver because yeah. she she had to learn how to uh, to maneuver and everything and all of that. And and so yeah, it was it was definitely an experience. But yeah, the culture, the reverse, I guess, culture shock was was heavy. And of course, what kept me together was was making comics and. You know, I, I had in my mind I was planning a graphic novel in Japan. You know, being there and being separate from everything, you know, I, you could turn off language, right, where I could be in a meeting, uh, not to say I wasn't listening, but a lot of the stuff I didn't understand. So I could I could totally just not hear Japanese and be in my own <laughs> head. So it was a great time to, to write, to write ideas and to come up with ideas because I was in my head a lot. And so I wrote a, a graphic novel, you know, Young Bloods about... Um, about vampires and everything and, and created this, this world. Uh, and then when I got to Los Angeles, I was able to start drawing it and, and get that going. And so that kind of helped me, uh, with the, uh, that whole kind of reentry of just like, at least I have a project, at least I can work on this project and do this graphic novel. And, you know, it took like four years to complete, but at least I know how to do one. And I got, and I got it done. And in the back of my mind, I had, I, the idea for fried chicken and sushi, like, well, I'd also like to do uh, some kind of comic about my experiences there. And so I don't know what it's going to be, but I'd like to do it after this is done. And, and yeah, when I finished the, the Young Bloods comic and then, then fried chicken and sushi started. So it's, it's been good. Um, so when you were in Japan, uh, what was your contact with the comics world was, were you into, you know, were you going to the comic shops in Japan? Were you, uh, reading manga? Were you, what, were you still reading Western comics or were you, was that just not part of your life then? Oh man, I was so into the comics. That was one of the best okay. parts of the whole experience of just, oh, like, okay. just comics were everywhere. I mean, just everywhere. It was yeah. so exciting and then taken so seriously. I mean, you know, like you in America, let's say you you meet a woman and you're dating. You're like, well, I make comics and I have a comic strip in it or a comic book, and they're like, oh, that's nice. One of those. You know, oh boy, but but there, when you say that, people are like, oh, really? Oh, wow. I mean, you know, they they look at 
uh, uh, comic artists as you know like sensei you know like you they call them hey hey this is this person is on a higher level and so I couldn't believe the responses and then I bring my my first comic that I published and show people like you did this you made wow you made a comic and you, you did it and I was just like well this is great and then just the idea of finding comics and going and and you know every convenience store there there are comics there and the the manga shops are full of comics about everything and you can just walk around and be like wow the only problem was i couldn't read japanese right so i couldn't really read the books but the art you know remember i'm in it for the learning so i just love looking at the different styles and and you know there's storytelling so you can kind of go through and get an idea of, of what's happening in the stories so i just poured over so many comics and they have used comic shops where you know people what are they going to do with their issues i mean they go and they turn them in and, and get money back. And so you can go to the used shops and get, you know, these big issues uh, for like a dollar or something like that. And, and so, yeah, I was, I was totally taken in with, with learning and, and everything was possible in comics of like, Hey, I can make comics about this and that. And, and there's just the creativity. I didn't see a lot of the creativity just in kind of the society in itself. But when you go into the, the anime and the manga and all that's like this is where everyone gets it out in their comics and it's just amazing to see because everybody has to kind of conform so much to everything that's going on that when you read it's it was exciting and so that really I think helped to push me to another level then of just like yeah I don't have to just do this I can I can go to something very wild and crazy and it can still work because look at what <laughs> what's happening here it's it was definitely um it was definitely like uh a, like a like a class in in what's possible in comics and yeah and kind of stretching my art style much you find it much more liberating than than american comics well i don't know now now uh because that was a, a while back now i see so much more creativity coming because of graphic novels right before uh -huh. it's just kind of like okay the creativity was okay this person draws superman in this kind of style that's really cool and then I like the style of this other one. Now you have so many stories that are being told, so many different types of art styles that I think it's it's getting pretty close. I mean, you know, and there's stories about everything here happening now with graphic novels. So I'm happy that we're finally at that place. But it's taken some some time. And when I was there, yeah, they didn't really have it. It just you didn't really see it so much. But but now I think we're really catching up, and I think that with so many young people being into graphic novels, they want it, and they're going to always want to read these stories and, and get uh, you know personal stories and different art styles from different people. So, so yeah, I'm excited about where we can go now in America with, with comics, and even if they're a combination of, of manga and all of that, still I think it's, it's pretty promising, and I'm, and I'm excited about the future. One of the things you you mentioned that intrigues me a little bit is is the um, you, you kind of alluded to a certain kind of conformity in the culture, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's in terms of uh, gender roles or in terms of uh, dress or appearance or or caste or whatever it is that exactly folks can conform to in terms of expectations, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But from my very cursory reading of manga and experience of anime, uh, there, this is a field wherein all of those barriers seem to break down. And, mm -hmm. and there is exploration of all kinds of different ideas, whether it's in terms of, you know, uh, gender role reversal or, yep. um, you know, all kinds of, of 
places and ideas and stories that seem to explore the psyche and those like closed doors of the psyche that are not really uh, available, I guess, outwardly in, in Japanese life. And you can tell me if I'm way off base on that. No, you're right. I mean, that's what people want to read. They want to, they want to see that. And, and that's what's, I mean, if you think about it, you know, I was in a school where all of the students wore uniforms. Mm. They were not allowed to color their hair or do any kind of wild thing with their hair. You have to kind of look similar. And, you know, that's kind of what it is. I think maybe, as you're as you're going as you're growing up, uh, you you kind of have to kind of stick with the program. Maybe you can get a, a few years of freedom after college, but uh, and you can go and, and do your rock band and, and wear your 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 wild clothes and all of that. Uh, and then once you get a job, you're expected to conform, and you need to get in there and do what everyone uh, is doing. And and so with that, you that escape, that being able to go into a world of manga. Uh, is it's just great, and you think of how many people are on trains, and that's what I loved about it. I I wasn't as uh, experienced in writing on trains, but I just loved this idea that I could sit on a train and read comics, and and everybody's doing it. They're all they're all reading comics, and a lot of times now on their phones, but but still, it's like having that there is a great escape. I mean, you want to be able to go there, you want to think. You want something to show a, a different way of thinking, or this person has this this goal and they just went for it and never gave up, and it's against everybody else and what they're doing, and and so you want to see people breaking all those rules that you have. So it's really exciting, and and everyone reads comics. I mean, uh, you know, adults, grownups, men, women, and I, I used to get such a thrill going into the comic shop and being like, wow, I'm the only man in this comic shop. Like there are there are more women in here, and, and that would never happen uh, at that time in America. And and so it was just kind of because there's romance comics, there's comics about you know all kinds of things that that uh, women are interested in that they can go in and want to read. And so it was just exciting to see uh, that perspective. Yeah, it's it's really, I mean, from my experience of of manga, it's just so diverse and so wide-ranging in terms of the stories and and the material that's available to the reader it's just not well i guess there are divisions in terms of male oriented comics and and female oriented comics at the same yes. time yeah, it just it just ble- all of that sort of bleeds out into you know so much material and and so many different approaches both in terms of storytelling but also visually there's just so much to to take in so many different approaches visually as well right Uh, can i talk about that for a sec because that's something i didn't quite realize before i went you know i used to think before moving to japan that you know there's just a a japanese style and everything looks the same and you know and then when i when i got there uh yeah i i discovered that there's just so many different styles and that you know it may look like it's similar but that even down to how someone draws their eyes right or the shine in the eyes and all that that's that's something that that's distinctive to a certain artist i know this artist because this is how they they draw eyes and then there's a lot that looks similar but looking at all the comics i just didn't realize how diverse the styles are and and that's what people want they you know, the, the artists that have unique styles are the ones that really take off. I mean, yeah, they need to have a good story in their comic, but you look at the most famous ones, I'm like, yeah, I guess this guy does look different than this than this girl here and this person there. And so, so yeah, I didn't quite understand that until I went there and just, and that got me excited. Like, yeah, okay, you know, like they look at 
uh, American art and think a similar thing a lot of times. Like, oh, well, this looks very American style. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, no, no, come on, America, we have all kinds of different styles. But it's the same there, and they really they really look for something that looks different or takes that, that kind of standard uh, manga style and breaks a lot of the things that you're used to. And so, yeah, that, that really got me excited there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting. I've been, I'm reading, um, I just got uh, Miyazaki's uh, two volume. Uh, it's not an autobiography, but it's a series of interviews and discussions that the filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki uh, has put together and um, two different volumes covering his whole life. And I, I'm in the first volume right now and I love Miyazaki's films. And uh, he, he, anyway, he talks about this difference between Western visual, the visual approach in Western culture versus Japanese culture. And I, and I'm, you know, I have to think more about this, but one of the things that he said was that there was a linear approach to visualization in Japanese art and the Japanese artist takes a more line oriented approach, whereas the Western style is much more volumetric in this idea of three dimensionality, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms. I am of course, you know, familiar with the Japanese woodblock tradition and, uh, you know, those wonderful woodblocks, um, which are, of course, you know, in a lot of ways, highly influential. They were deeply influential in terms of impressionist painting in the 19th century. But also uh, there's a, a connection to comics through them, through the use of color, flat color and yeah. the use of, uh, a line. And uh, so I thought that was an interesting observation. Um, you know, I, I'm not experienced enough to know whether how, how true it is, but it, I thought it was kind of interesting because there is, depending on, there's another thing back from my film history days, there was this idea in looking at Western directors, how Western film directors approach scenarios and setting up a scene versus, you know, uh, directors like Kurosawa or others mm. in Japan, how they w- would set up a scene from a different point of view than something the West might never consider. Uh, you know, those kind of, there's this idea that culture impacts the way you perceive the world yep. uh, as well. And I think that's kind of interesting as an idea. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I can definitely see that. I, I, I think I know what he's talking about with, um, with the line. I mean, and you do see that in, in manga quite a bit, especially with say thin lines, you know, like there are a lot of manga that, you know, the, the lines are very thin, you know, like here we, a lot of comics we're, we're interested in line weight and 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 thick to thin lines or, or or having something that's thicker and there there's you know there's just a lot more hatching and and cross hatching and and everything inside of it and uh, expressed through everything and and a lot more just kind of intense dynamic uh, facial expressions and and all of that so so yeah I guess I can kind of see that uh, in some ways but but yes it is interesting how kind of a, a culture itself but then also uh, how the culture thinks about certain things and how that comes comes through in, in art and even in movies. And I joke about this a lot with uh, friends in Japan and even Japanese movies. A lot of times they not not so much the anime and uh, you know animated style, but any kind of live action Japanese movies take take a long time to get started. You know, there's a slow beginning. It's a quiet slow beginning, and and you have to kind of get into it get into the world and, and have patience, have patience with kind of getting to know the characters. And a lot of times there might not be a happy ending. 
it might be depressing and sad. I know that's in a lot of uh, movies in Europe, it's that way too, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's a different way of looking at it. Um, so, so yeah. You know, uh, again, you know, just referencing that Miyazaki book, which I highly recommend to folks who love of Miyazaki. Um, you know, he, he talks about the differences too between, uh, uh, Western films and Japanese films. And he, he also points out some issues about Japanese films that I might never have noticed, but, uh, he talks about a, a lot about that difference about the way one enters into Hollywood films and, or for example, Disney animation uh, versus, you know, animation from Japan. And he's critical of animation from Japan as well. It's, it's not that his criticism is limited to uh, to American or to Disney, but, but there's this idea of um, a kind of integrity to expression and to the director's vision and an idea that um, this kind of as you were pointing out, a slower approach into the film, one that doesn't kind of go for, oh, action first, you know, is a a different idea uh, than, than we have. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I learned more, uh, you know, more and more as I read that book and, uh, and there's so much to learn uh, in terms of their approach in filmmaking and animation and, and, uh, and everything in manga included, but uh, I'll have to check that book out. I haven't seen it. I have heard of and haven't watched yet though. The, uh, the PBS, I think documentary on him is 10 years with Miyazaki. I think it is. And, uh, Oh, I haven't seen that either. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I hear it's, it's awesome that they spent 10 years with him and interview him through all these different, uh, phases of, of, uh, you know, um, filmmaking. And so I just, I really want to watch that. And, uh, get an idea. And so it may be similar, but I'd love to to read uh, the book you're talking about just because of the details. I'm sure that there's so much more he can go into uh, in the book. So, so yeah. That's yeah. Great. It's called um, starting point and the next, the second volume is called turning point. Okay. And you can get them. I've, I got them on Amazon and uh, they're both, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, but I did. Uh, they're, they're both really terrific. They're both very thick volumes, but they read pretty fast. And, and uh, you know, he's, there's so many observations. It's almost impossible to, <laughs> to, to, you know, speak about them all because he, he's so insightful and uh, you know, such a great master uh, that, Anyway, it's just page after page of really great revelations that I could be quoting endlessly. But so, uh, you know, so it's enriching to explore another culture in terms of its art forms. And it's enriching to explore Japanese culture and uh, and Japanese comics. And so do you feel as though you not only in terms of the subject matter and the storyline, you know, you have an African-American family that's gone to Japan and is living there in little fried chicken and sushi and you have a magical raccoon which i'm assuming you didn't have a magical raccoon when you lived <laughs> in, in japan but also in terms of you know the way you tell the story and and the way you visualize the story do you feel as though your experience of japanese comics has impacted uh, the entirety of your strip not only the the story i don't know if it if it has, uh, as far as say style goes, um, and I think that the graphic novel, the Tales of Tutoria, Young Bloods, I was talking about, that has some more kind of Japanese manga influence in it, as far as the style and the way the story is 
told, but I think that uh, the comic strip, fried chicken and sushi, you know, like I really, I was totally going for that kind of American newspaper style look to it. But I hope that, you know, just with the subject matter and certain things that we will bring up, uh, you know, I, I hope to get the feeling of of Japan and being there. And, and one of my struggles has been backgrounds and, and drawing Japan outside when they're outside to look like Japan. And, uh, and so that, those are things that I try to pull from and I'll use manga as well uh, for that to see, okay, how are they drawing the basic street? How come this looks so much like Japan? And so I think that that's where it's hard for me not being Japanese, but of living there, of trying to get that essence and that feeling that you're really there um has been something but but and can i talk about tanuki for a second because you brought him up and he is, yeah yeah you know um tanukis are japanese raccoons and they're actually i think considered dogs raccoon dogs but yeah they they're they're real uh raccoons but they don't have a striped tail they have like a little kind of uh i don't know round tail and yeah and they're they're in the woods and, and miyazaki had a movie about them i think uh Tanuki Pompoko, and uh -huh. it's about the uh, Tanukis wanting to save the forests and that sort of thing. But uh, but uh, and they're using their magic. You know, it shows they're also kind of magical creatures in in folklore in in Japanese culture. And and so that was kind of a, you, you see them everywhere. They have the um, statues of, of Tanuki, and usually they're in front of restaurants or homes. You know, like it's just like the lucky cat that you see in front of uh, certain. Uh, uh, stores that, that kind of kind of bring in good luck and, and money and that sort of thing and so yeah he's uh, he's out quite a bit and I always thought he was kind of a cute and interesting character and so when I started the original fried chicken and sushi you know I needed someone to for Carl to play off of and and also kind of represent his isolation and loneliness and so I felt like it would be fun to just kind of choose the Tanuki, and it's like he's got this statue of Tanuki, but it comes to life, and it talks to him. And and for most of the original run, for those four years of the original fried chicken and sushi, you don't really know if Tanuki is real or imagined. And that's more of kind of like, uh, you know, Carl's crazy side of just like he's talking to this statue who's who's kind of like the Jiminy Cricket or, uh, you know, the guy that's always kind of on him about what he needs to get done and that other side of him. Because I experienced that too, of just kind of that whole idea of being in my head a lot there of just kind of, okay, I did this wrong and you're constantly making mistakes and and not knowing what to do and, and trying to figure it out. And yeah, and just and not having anyone to talk to about it, just being in my apartment alone or and those kinds of things. I wanted to get that that feeling in the strip and so he of course has become a very popular character and so then when it when it kind of became the the family of little fried chicken and sushi i wanted to give a chance for it to be okay well tanuki is is here it might take away the you know kind of the magic of is he real or not but at least he can now use his real magic and create chaos and and carl is a child and so that can come with its own challenges and that's been fun to kind of play around with his character and get to know kind of how what he thinks and he can kind of represent Japan in some ways and he can ask questions about certain things and discover uh, what Americans think about certain parts of Japan and that sort of uh, idea. So, so yeah, he's been a fun character to, uh, to play with over the years. 
Well, I love Tanuki. He's he's a wonderful character. He's got yes. lots of spirit, and uh, and that's one of the things that that enlivens strip. I mean, you can imagine that a strip that's just about a family in Japan, uh, you know, it, it's it's a great idea. But this adds that kind of unexpected element to yeah. the story. Not that the whole story's not can't be filled with you know surprise, but this certainly adds. That kind of, you know, you never know what's going to happen next with Tanuki. And uh, so I think that 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 really is wonderful. And it's quite different. Tanuki is different in personality than, say, you know, Hobbes in Calvin and Hobbes or, uh, you know, the unicorn in Phoebe and her unicorn or something like that. Um, I mean, there are a lot of these kinds of characters where one character plays off another. But what I like about Tanuki is this kind of... Um, manic energy that yeah. Tanuki yeah. seems to have and uh that makes him unique uh as a character which i, I quite like a lot um but can i, can I is, say something today because yeah, it's like, yeah. that's yeah. one of the things that makes it fun as a as an artist because the fact that Tanuki's there you know, i can i can play around with anything that i want you know i can create a, a magic thing and i think one time they they imagined you know Tanuki made a, a magical uh, Thundercats type uh, scenario where the characters turned into Thundercats characters because I said I want to draw the characters as Thundercats. That was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid, and and so I get to draw <laughs> I get to draw that because of Tanuki. And you know I, I drew Carl as a Spider Spider Man at one point, and and so you know those kind of, the fact that he's he has that magic gives me the freedom to kind of break out of the four panels or or break the the basic rules of what goes on in a comic strip. And just have fun with it, and and draw something that I want to try to get better in. And so I've just kind of enjoyed the spontaneity of like, you know, what I can do that, yeah, which I really couldn't do uh, with it in the original version. Yeah, it allows you this opportunity to to break the fourth wall, to break into different modes of storytelling, and I think that that's one of the one of the wonderful characteristics of a character like Tanuki is to is to open up the doorway for you creatively and artistically. So, you know, one of the things you had mentioned to me in an email was that when you went from the original fried chicken and sushi to little fried chicken and sushi, there was a drop off in readership and there was a big change. And so the folks who were listening to this, maybe for the first time, may not be familiar with the trajectory of your strip. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how it began as fried chicken and sushi and how you and why you made that transition to little fried chicken and sushi. Hey listeners, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's interview. If you are and you want to show support, head on over to my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. At Patreon, you can contribute as little as a dollar on a regular basis to ensure the longevity of this podcast. Your support will help keep it not only commercial free, but free to the listening public. And in exchange, you'll get some pretty neat stuff. There are at least three different tiers. Each level offers its own distinct rewards. So check it out today at patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N. Any amount is welcome, and your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks again, and that's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. Yeah, you know, it was um, definitely, definitely... Uh, 
a crazy time because I think I, I, cre- I was working on the original fried chicken and sushi for four years, and I, I had heard from from other cartoonists from listening to podcasts and uh, you know just about Go Comics and how you know you should you should try to kind of submit to Go Comics and see what they'll do and and you know you can be on the Go Comics site and you can be with with other uh, well-known cartoonists and, it, and it's a good thing and I found that interesting and so I I submitted uh, to Go Comics online and you know I submitted of course fried chicken and sushi but there were a few comics that I made on fried chicken and sushi that were little fried chicken you know it was, it was just the characters as kids just for fun and I said well let me throw that let me throw that into because uh, I know that a lot of Go Comics Comics are uh, maybe the it's for readers that are younger and that sort of thing. So let me try it out. And I didn't really know if anything would happen. But then, you know, they got back to me and they weren't so interested in fried chicken and sushi because it was kind of, they felt it was kind of all over the place and it was not as uh, as focused. And they were interested in the on the kid version. And so I was kind of like, well, okay, you know, I. I it was good that I added those in there uh, into the submission packet, but you know I wasn't sure about doing it and how it would work. But I decided to give it a go. I said it's a good opportunity to be on the on the page, and then went into figuring out how to make that work and how to make the characters kids, and and then feeling like okay, well maybe this could work because you know I'm moving into a different phase of my life. You know, the original comics comics of fried chicken and sushi were about kind of being single and dating and being in Japan and all of that. And and at, at that point, I was kind of more of a, a family man. And so I said, well, maybe I can turn it into a family comic strip. And so the only thing is that, you know, it was exciting and it was great to, to be on Go Comics and to start there. And then at the time, I was trying to do both. I was trying to do the original fried chicken and sushi and do little fried chicken and sushi at the same time and working as a teacher and all of that. And it was just too much. Oh gosh, it was hard. It was hard to do all of that. And I felt like something had to go. And I felt like, well, you know, that there may be more potential in um, in the Go Comics route. And so I, I now kind of regret that. I wish that I had kept going with both because uh, my readership was really strong just on my on my website and for the original fried chicken and sushi. And a lot of people weren't huge fans of uh, the little fried chicken and sushi. And then I, I ended it. I ended the original and just said, I'm going to focus on little fried chicken and sushi now. Yeah. And people were, were disappointed and they didn't move over. They didn't, they didn't move over to the new one. And I mean, maybe I think there are some now that, that are still reading, but it's just hasn't kind of reached that. And if you think about it, I guess for online comics, you know, having a comic strip about someone in their twenties and they're dating and they're dealing with that kind of life is very popular. That really works. There are a lot of people online that are looking to read about that. And so I think it's a little bit harder um, when you're doing something with the family and, and everything. And so that was one of my kind of regrets. I feel like I wish I had tried to just keep it going. And now I see what's possible in ways that I could have made it work. But, you know, hindsight is, <laughs> is always 2020. So I, I can't really... I can't really go back and and do that, but now I can just focus on making the best comic that I can right now. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, the whole Go Comics experience is kind of an interesting one. On the one hand, you've got this huge vehicle 
or um, place in which to access potentially, you know, millions of readers. Yeah. But then at the same time, there there are so many comics there, it's hard to get discovered. Have you found that since they've been featuring your comic on the front page, have you found that your subscriptions have gone up any or, or that ha- that's had an impact at all? I mean, only, of- only by a little, Jeff. It's not, it hasn't been that big for me. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I, I don't know how long they're going to keep us on the homepage like that. Uh, I think it's great, but but yeah, it's so it's helping. It's helping, but it's it's not what I thought it was going to be. And and for a time there, uh, a few years ago, I I got really kind of frustrated with it of just kind of putting everything into it and not really growing that much. And 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 yeah, it could be because the comic wasn't great and I needed to improve. But I kind of ended it again. You know, I ended yeah. it again and I and I stopped for about a year there. And so, you know, like I just I was just kind of done with it. I got frustrated. Mm-hmm. And that's why going back to our, our when we were talking about kind of being consistent and, and keeping something going where you've got to deal with your own emotions and your own issues and your own frustrations about something. Sometimes it's working. Sometimes it's not. And you still got to got to keep it going. And so with that time off, I started working on another strip, um, The Honey Buns, which is kind of about rabbits and instead of people <laughs> I just like having to go to Japan and take a break I wanted to take a break from talking about race and 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 you know perception of all of these different uh, things and just I just wanted to do something simple and I worked on uh, the honey buns about a brother and sister and they're both like geniuses and you know this idea uh, that I see a lot especially in in California and this idea of you know wanting kids to grow up too fast and mm-hmm. they just, you know, you want them to study really hard when they're super young and their goal is to go to Stanford and and yeah. they can't rest and they can't enjoy their child. They just got to work, work, work. And, and it was just so much where I just wanted to kind of show this this strip where you have a little a little kid who's really smart and he wants to start businesses and do all these things already. But he's, you know, in first grade and his older sister who knows that you know, there's going to be a lot of responsibilities. You need to slow down and enjoy your childhood and kind of get that idea. That was something I wanted to explore and also explore a busy family, a busy family that might be working in tech or something like that, that we don't see a lot of. Uh, And so I shopped that around, you know, I did a whole kind of pitch thing and did about 30 strips and shopped it around and people weren't really very interested in it. But you know, now I'm I'm putting those up on Instagram. I was like, you know what? After oh. shopping it around, I was just kind of like, you know, I'll go ahead and 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 show them. And I put some color. Most of them are black and white. I'm adding color. I'm putting the honey buns up on um, on Instagram as well as fried chicken and sushi. And I'll just kind of do that. I think I'll I'll just keep making different strips or continuing the honey buns. I don't know. We'll see. But but yeah, just trying different things alongside creating fried chicken and sushi. Well, and I think that's the way to go. You know, I, again, I'm I'm thinking back now to uh, my discussion last year with Ray Billingsley. One of the things that impressed me so much and really hit home to me, because I'm, I've experienced a lot of the feelings you're talking about, and I want to talk about that in a minute, but Ray... Ray would do like all of these different strip ideas he had. And I mean, he had bunches upon bunches of different ideas. And he said he would, before he actually sat down to draw anything, he would write out a hundred comics. And this blew my mind, you know, he he would sit down and write out a hundred comics and he could write out a hundred comics like in a weekend. (laughs) It Mm. was amazing. And so, and the reason he said that was because then he found out if the idea had legs. 
Right. If he could write a hundred comic strips of it pretty easily, then he was going to be able to carry it for a number of years. And so he, he threw out, you know, a whole kind a whole bunches of different strip ideas that he had. And every now and then, I think if you follow him on Instagram, you'll see some of those, mm-hmm. uh, all of them stand out as like professional level and you go, wow, this could have flown. And, and you know, why didn't this go any place? And you never know what the reason was until Curtis clicked, but you know, I think you've got to give yourself that opportunity. One of the, the frustrations, I think, of Go Comics is is exactly that, uh, that w- this happened to me, too. I had the strip Plastic Baby Heads from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. It went up on, on April Fool's Day on 2013. And, <laughs> and it ran <laughs> for about five to put it up. <laughs> oh, it was the worst day in the world. To put a com to debut a comic strip, I'm telling you Oops. the worst. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And my comic strip, first of all, it took a while to develop. But secondly, uh, and and I look back at those strips, they're pretty funny, but they're also pretty crude. But uh, when I think about that, it was just the worst experience. I had a weird strip to begin with, and the people there were just like, "This is garbage. I hate this." And oh. and I, it never really recovered from that. But I think one of the frustrations is is that. As you get into your work, you're working really, really hard on this thing and you're meeting your deadlines three times a week. This is what I contracted for. And you take it all really seriously at first and it goes nowhere and you don't seem to get any overt support, you know, from the people there. They don't acknowledge that you put something up. They don't seem to acknowledge it when, you know, whether something's going well or something, there's no interaction. It's just there. And so after a period of time, if it's not going anyplace, you really start to feel frustrated, really start to feel like, because you, you just, it's like going, it's like putting it out into the air and it just doesn't have any impact. And, and I think large part of that has to do with the fact that there's just so much stuff there. And, you know, most people looking at the subscription rate, most people are somewhere around a thousand, 2000 subscribers at the most after five years yeah. and you're not. You know, there's no getting any place with it. And so I think people start to feel, wow, you know, if I, you know, first of all, you feel trapped because you're like, well, this isn't going, how much time do I put into this thing? That's not going any place. And I've got other ideas I want to try. And there are other things that are drawing my creative energies. And I want to try those too. Do I, what do I do here? You know? And, and it is kind of, um, a box in a way. And I think you either have to be either are of the mind to be okay, devoted to that box or, or you have to look at it realistically at some point and say to yourself, okay, how far can this go? Is it really gone as far as it's going to go? Am I going to lose anything by focusing on or, or turning my attention to something that I'm burning to do, you know? And, uh, I think you have to make that judgment for yourself, but I think that's one of the frustrations of being, being up there is that you just, there's no interaction. There's no give and take. You don't feel any real support except for being there. And then you don't know, you know, if there's a lot of audience response, well, or if there isn't, you know, you don't know how far to devote to it, how much to devote to it. So and I think you know, that that having the having that experience and going through all of that uh, with with Go Comics and then kind of having this other this other idea this this Honey Buns idea of 
okay, well, I, you know, maybe I should just go with this and start my own website and make it a web comic and, and go that way. Uh, that sounded, that sounded fine. And that was a choice, but I also felt like, but you know what? I already spent time establishing little fried yeah. chicken and sushi on, on this page. And, and, you know, also there's a, a voice, there's, there's, there's something I need to express. And, and, and yeah, the honey buns is great. It, it, it can be about family and, and all of that. But it, when I'm frustrated with certain things that have to do with being black uh, in the world uh, or any issues that will not fit with that comic strip, what am I going to do? And so I had to kind of decide that, okay, I am going to make this my challenge. Of I'm going to see see if they'll take me back. See if I can start again uh, on, on Go Comics and let that be my practice because I still have a lot to improve on and to grow in. And so I was like, you know, like this will my this will be my chance to really just grow with it. And it's something where I'm under contract, so I've gotta gotta keep putting work out there. And that's that's hard, but it's gonna force me. It's gonna force me to grow. And then if I can do that, I can work on the other things on the side. And but I always will have fried chicken and sushi as kind of the regular. And then, okay, I can explore other ideas, even maybe graphic novels or, or things that are or more long form and not gag based comics. So that's kind of what I've done. And I've seen the improvement over the last two years of when I go back and look at some of the older strips and I look at them now, I'm like, yeah, I, I have grown and I think it's getting better. And I asked for a lot of advice about with gag writing and, and character development. And so I, I see the improvement. And then I, I've kind of figured out, you know, from getting up early and working early in the morning, and that helps me produce more, more work, things like that have helped me to kind of make more comics. And so that's where I've, I've, I've come where it's like, I, I know it might not be, ever become huge, but that's not the thing. It's more about kind of getting better as a cartoonist and, and also expressing myself through fried chicken and sushi and then having an opportunity to try something else at the same time. Yeah. And that sounds like, uh, I think a good attitude to have in regard to experience on go comics and, and both strips. I mean, you know, uh, I think now you, you know, in terms of discussing race and all those and, and issues that are personal to you, I think you can find a way to do that with, you know, anthropomorphic creatures too, you know, oh, in a way certainly, that, certainly, especially yeah, even just, sure. you know, like different types of of rabbits or between rabbits and hares or you know like they could be different color rabbit I, you know you could totally go that way what i want to though i don't know mm -hmm. I, I think i like the idea of having one strip where i don't have to talk about that where it can just yeah. be a, just be about something else but you're right if i if i really wanted to put it all into one comic with with animals it's definitely possible to do but but yeah it's it's been nice just trying to kind of figure out what i'm doing here and just grow as a cartoonist right now well, and I think that's important. Uh, I'm thinking about both strips and, you know, I, 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 I've seen the honey buns and I've enjoyed it. And I think it's a very, it's got a lot of potential, uh, for a strip cause it's very, and don't take this the wrong way. I mean it in the nicest way possible. Cute. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going cute. for. Yep. yep. And very enjoyable. And I think that there's an, a big audience for that. The uh, thing about fried chicken and sushi, little fried chicken and sushi, which I'm more familiar with, um, than the other its original incarnation. Uh, the thing about it is, I think it's got enormous potential as a longer form story. 
uh, and we talked about this a little the other day. I, I really do think the, the, the premise is so unique and so interesting. Uh, you know, anytime you step out of your comfort zone and go into another culture, that whole exploration of another world, opening your eyes to another world, that's fascinating stuff. I really think that it's got enormous potential, not only as a comic strip, but I think beyond the comic strip, I think you've got something there that has potential as a film script. Uh, you know, it could be a television series. It could be, uh, an animated series. You know, it could be anything, but the, the premise is so unique. There's nothing else like it, I think. Well, Certainly on Go Comics. I appreciate and, you uh, saying that. Thank you so much. Well, I, you know, well, that's and I great say to hear. It, you know, I say it from the heart, too. I mean, I really think that this is a premise that would... I could see this as an Amazon series, you know? Oh, uh, you know? It, it's So if I was... And I, I love the comic strip, so I'm not saying give up the comic strip. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying, okay, here's something why not sit down and think about a script? Why not right. sit down and think about a premise for a television program or for a, a, a you know, a film that talks about a family, a black family that's gone from the United States to uh, Japan, exactly yeah. as the way you're, you're dealing with it, whether Tanuki's in it or not, I don't know. Oh, you've got to have Tanuki in it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. it, think about that. Thank you. Yeah, I will. I, I, and I have been thinking about how it can cross over, and I even have kind of an idea for a plot for a film and how that would work, and I thought about that kind of years ago of, of bringing everything together. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, I think that it, it can, and, and one thing that, you know, taking that break from working on it for a year and working on other things, you know, they, it really helped me to kind of understand how fried chicken and sushi, especially little fried chicken and sushi, is is something that only I can create. And you know, we were talking about that with Ray of just how he does everything. Like that's his voice. That's everything about him is coming out in in, yeah. in Curtis. And I think that fried chicken and sushi is like that. Yeah, you could totally make another comic strip about living in Japan and and your experiences with that. But no one is going to do it in this way with the, with the family and the and the tanuki and the and and the voice that I have to give through that and the experiences that I have where it's like this is this is all me right here and and so it was something that I just had to kind of continue on just like, I'll just have to figure this out because yeah this is because even the honey buns is great but someone else could take on you know rabbits and in, in our modern fast paced lifestyle and and all of that, but, but no one's going to be able to do this fried chicken and sushi comic strip the same way. Yeah. And I do think it's got legs and I, and I don't want to sound too down on the go comics experience because I do want to say that it, for the casual comics reader or for even those of us who love, just love comic strips, it's got, it's a doorway to thousands of different comic strips. I don't know. Maybe right. it's 500, 600 comic strips that are there, but that you can't find any place else and to creative minds, you can't find any place else. And so you go there and hopefully the trick is to stumble upon those comics that you love. Mm -hmm. And I think little fried chicken and sushi is one of those unique voices that you wouldn't be able to find any place else. 
And so it's great that you're there and it's great that we can access it there and watch it grow and develop and, uh, and see where it goes. But, you know, I, I mean, what your ultimate goals are, whether it's to become, uh, you know, I mean, I don't even know if that's something you think about. I mean, raising the newspaper business, but, uh, you know, the newspaper business for people of our age, well, actually your age, I'm, uh. I'm like, you know, 20 years older, but, uh, but the newspaper business is not really kind of where it's at any longer. Uh, It's kind of, so what do you do? And I think one of those things that you do is that you diversify, you know, the medium in which your property can be seen. And I do think little fried chicken and sushi is a very personal story, even though it's an entertaining story and I can read it as somebody who's never experienced any of these things, but I can find it enlightening and interesting and engaging and entertaining uh, as a comic strip from my perspective uh you know i th- i think it it can also work uh, in different mediums and yeah I, I agree you know what my dream would be my dream would be to uh of course get the um get the strips collected into into books yeah. um similar to phoebe and her unicorn you know that sort of maybe the the uh, graphic novel where you stack stack them instead of going uh, horizontally, they're vertical, and having those books, even having um, separate graphic novels where it's not so much gag-based, but it's more of like short stories where you've got the, the comics. You know, it's comics, but it's more like, you know, 20 pages of, okay, the family's doing this right now and going on this adventure, and then that one ends, and then the next chapter is them doing this and that. And then, of course, I would love to see a series or a movie or or a Netflix, uh, you know, uh, show of fried chicken and sushi, something animated where you can really do great things with, with Tanuki in a fun way and, and going that direction. I think that's where I would love to, to see it. And, you know, and oh, my, yeah. yeah and then, and so it's just more of just kind of that and, and merchandising I'd be into, you know, I'd love to see a stuffed Tanuki and, yeah. <laughs> and something that, that's something that could work in Japan as well because of the actual Tanuki and that would, that would go over well over there, they would just be like, oh, that's a cute Tanuki, whether or not they know about the comic or not, that could that could work well. So, so yeah, that's kind of where I would love for it to go in the future and kind of what I'm building towards. Yeah, and I would love to see that. I, I really do think it could work as a Netflix kind of uh, animated series or as a an, an Amazon animated series or something like that. I really do think it's got that potential and it's something you, you know, yeah, I hope you give some thought to it in the meantime. Uh, it would be great to see a collection of the books too. Once you, you get uh, enough strips together, I think you probably have enough strips together, don't you, to put together a book? And, I think uh, so, yeah. I just have to yeah. get on it. You know, I've got uh, two book collections of the original Fried Chicken and Sushi. All of those are are on on Amazon. That's uh, the first one is um, is living in Japan ain't easy, and then the second book is living in Japan still ain't easy, and so it <laughs> collects all four years of uh, the original run in there. So at least I did I did that, and I have those out for sale in in uh, you know you could get them paperback or uh, Kindle, and so so I'm happy about that. But yeah, I haven't really done anything with the little fried chicken and sushi yet, and if if I do and when I do, it will probably be the way I was describing earlier of making it, uh, you know, more stacked and, and in a graphic novel type format uh, and just seeing how they do. But but do you think that it's something that can work? One thing that concerns me about fried chicken and sushi is just that it's I feel like sometimes it's just too hard 
for Americans to relate to. And it's not just about the black family. It's also just living in Japan and being overseas of, you know, like if the family were in America, maybe with Tanuki, maybe it would be easier for them to get. But sometimes I'm concerned about how that works. But, you know, does that throw you off at all? No, uh, for me, I find it, it's uniqueness as a premise to me is, uh, is the, the thing that drew me in initially. And so I also enjoy the idea of the experiencing Japan through your eyes, the character, your character's eyes. So that's something to me, it opens up a doorway to Japan that I may not have, Otherwise, except for, you know, through through other films that I watch or something like that. So it offers a unique perspective of Japan, an American perspective. Yes. You know, and, and so it, it gives me that that opening that I don't have through watching a Miyazaki film or something like right. that. Right. Okay. You know, uh, so I, I enjoy that aspect of it. I don't know how the question is, you know, how big an audience is that going to draw that? I don't know. I I do think it, you know, again, I'm not one to give advice. (laughs) I'm I'm not Mr. Success here in that, in, in those terms. And I think it would be really cool to talk to somebody who does know uh, more about, you know, the industry than I do. I kind of think that it would work absolutely beautifully as a, a film or as a series live action or animated and uh, because i think people love that kind of stuff in comic strip form how big an audience can you get i don't know you right. know I don't i don't know it seems like a niche audience thing to yeah. me in terms of comic strip or or the kind of reader who is looking for something different all the time so That's you know true. you're not going to connect i think with uh, you know, the Garfield audience because right. they're looking for a cat talking about pizzas, you know, and, and something fairly simple and straightforward. I don't know that. I think this is unique in that sense. And it's uniqueness kind of means that the audience for it in terms of comic strip may be small, but I do think it's, it's, and that's fine. Small audience can be fine. It's your audience. They can be a devoted audience. It doesn't have to be a big audience. You know, a a thousand subscribers is fabulous. It's a thousand subscribers, you know, that's That's a thousand people who are reading it every day. And that's, that's, Hey, that's nothing to sneeze at because you know, if you got a website on your own, how you, if you get five people coming to your website, I mean, you know, I mean, that's kind of what I, (laughs) I have a very limited audience when it comes to my comics on my website. And, and, uh, so, you know, it's like drawing people to something through go comics, thousand readers is still a thousand readers. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so too. And then that, yeah, that idea of just kind of doing something, uh, specific and, and that's what I'm trying to do of just, okay, I want to be, I want to get as specific as possible and still try to relate to everybody and, and do that. And, so that is kind of the the challenge of I don't have to reach everyone. Yeah, and I think one of the things that Tanuki does actually is is opens it up to a wider audience because oh, you know you know Tanuki is a character we can all you know that kind of very funny animal character who opens the door to different kinds of comedy and different kinds of experiences opens the door in the strip to, I think a wider audience than it would be if it was just the family in Japan. So, you know, I I think Tanuki 
is a bridge in some sense between say something like the honey buns and, and uh, little fried chicken and sushi. So uh, that's a really essential element to it. I think in terms of the comic strip and broadening the audience as it were, but like I said, you know, a thousand readers is a thousand readers and uh, yeah. that's still pretty cool. So, uh, so you know, you just got to, but I think thinking about it in terms of diversity is really important. And yes. To, I think that's probably where it's at for almost every comic strip uh, that's moving through this ladder, you know, on Go mm-hmm. Comics or elsewhere. It's thinking about it in terms of, okay, how can I broaden the audience? What's the best way to do this? And one of the best ways to do that, I think, is thinking about it in other terms. Right. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll, yeah, well, it'll right. bring readers back to the original. But it'll also uh, open up your your audience and and diversify it and broaden it. So uh, it's something to really give some thought to. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for the encouragement on that and, and kind of giving me your perspective because it's good to to hear. I, you know, as a you you know, as a cartoonist, a lot of times it's like we're I don't know we're just on our own and we're doing the best we can. And and if you're lucky to get a lot of uh, comments and feedback from your audience is great, but I don't get a ton of that. And so sometimes I do, and that helps a bit, but it's hard to know what's what's working or hard to know if this is something that that can go uh, into other media and all of that. So it's good to, to hear that from you. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is that there are a few comics that somehow or another, uh, hit, you know, um, hit a chord. And, uh, and, and do so unbeknownst to why, you know, I mean, without any rationale as to why, I mean, uh, you know, when I was talking to Brian Gordon, it was sort of happenstance that foul language kind of connected with as many people as it did mm. actually for him just at the right time when he was really in desperate straits, That's right. uh, it, it connected in a, in a way that you couldn't have arranged for it to connect that way. It just was an accident, you know, right. that one thing picked it up and another thing and another thing. And before you knew it, it had exploded. Uh, Tahid's strip, Crabgrass, which is a wonderful comic. Yep, um, I love, you know, I love Tahid, his work. Yep. Oh, I do too. Absolutely. And I don't think Tahid was prepared for, you know, how quickly or how powerfully it hit. I mean, the audience just exploded. At least that's what he expressed to me. You know, it was kind of not planned, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, and it, but it just happened. And somehow or another, like Tahid said, it was just the algorithms, you know, uh, being in the right place at the right time, you can't discount that. As far as uh, it's partly it's being prepared, you know, it's having the work, it's having done all of the preliminary work, and then it's being in the right place at the right time. At the right time. Yeah, and that's why I'm feeling like, you know, as much as I love fried chicken and sushi, I'm not set on that being the one for the rest of my life. I mean, maybe it will be. Maybe it will take off and do that, but maybe this is a step to something else. You know, and that's kind of where I am right now. Just I'm a student learning i love the the workout that i get of making comics every week and that whole thing of getting stronger and better at it it may lead to something else just like it did for tahid and because he's been around for a long time making comics and then this one takes off and so that's that's how it is another person i like is um i don't know if you know george gant i think i'm saying his last name right he does beware of toddler i haven't seen that one 
Yeah, oh, that's taken off for him. And he he did another comic, the Reset Button, that was more kind of uh, video game based for years and for a long time. But now he's doing this comic strip about being a dad and and raising a toddler and all the uh-huh. ins and outs of beware, you know, beware of toddler of just uh, the crazy things going on. And it's taken off for him. And so I'm seeing him. Uh, you know, finally is getting some something with legs and people are talking about it and he's getting all of these subscribers. And so it's really exciting to see these guys. And he's African-American. You know, it's good to see another black cartoonist that, that's found something that, you know, that that balance of what you love to do and also what people want to read and want to see is really difficult to find and, and having the time when when they want it. And, and it's happening. It's working. It's working for uh, other cartoonists and other black cartoonists. And so, so yeah, it is possible. So you just don't know. And so for me, it's just, I've just got to keep getting better and keep trying different things and we'll see, but I really enjoy it. And that's the main thing. I just love making comics and making comic strips. I didn't, you make a ton of comic strips when I was younger and I love the idea of learning about how to write humor and how to make gags and, and, and wanting to improve on that. I love that whole process. And so I'm just going to keep enjoying just kind of the doing, you know? Well, and that's what it comes down to. You know, it's like uh, it comes down to your love of the medium, your love of what you're doing. And I think, you know, this is something that as cartoonists, we, we keep in mind, you know, you do it because you love it. And, and hopefully you, you want other people to love it too. That's, that's the secondary aspect, but the first primary aspect is that you love it and you put everything into it. And it is like, uh, an addiction. It is like a drug. It's much better than that though. The high that comes from creating, uh, something that you care about, that you feel invested in and, that, and you end up caring about the characters and, and their lives and where they're going. And, and I have to say, you know, it's interesting uh, I, I'm, I've just been revisiting some of the work I did on my spiking the lens comic over the last, uh, couple weeks. And, and I've been missing those characters and I'm deeply invested in some other stuff. I got so, way too many ideas and way too many, too much project and not enough time left in my life to do them all. And, and, you know, if I live to a hundred, maybe I could get to them, but right. I, anyway, um, but I'm doing these, these things, you know, I'm invested in all of them but the funny thing is that i found myself the other day missing my characters <laughs> so mm. they were like old friends you know yep. and, and i have to every now and again it's funny i have to return to them in in some very strange way whether it's uh hank and marcia gladly from my little from the jetpack strip who became the gladleys in that series of comics or whether it's it's bella dilemma in spiking the lens and her roommates you know it's it's just like you find that you're like i've got to tell the story they're they're beating at my head you know these characters want to continue somehow and uh, so you know there's like this this need we have to express ourselves through this medium we love. And so that's the primary thing. And, yeah. And I, I feel the same way. I sometimes miss if I am focusing on certain characters too much and then I start missing others and it's just like, Oh, we, I, I got to do something with, with this character over here and uh, what are they up to? And, and so, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I totally understand that. And sometimes they're kind of telling you, Hey, 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 what, what am I chop liver? You know, yeah. I, I need some attention over here. And so you, you, you just tell, okay, let me make one. Let me figure out a, a gag that'll work and, and, and bring them back. And, and so that's what I also love just about having a cast of characters of, of the fact that you can, you can get to know them so well and, and love them that much that you want to keep bringing them up and, and, and changing things around. And 
yeah and so that's that's definitely enjoyable yeah it certainly is that's that's one of the things about it's the one of the mystifying aspects of working in this medium yeah. is the hold the characters come to take upon your life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know i mean what i always go back to the last thing that charles schultz wrote about peanuts is you know linus and lucy and charlie brown and snoopy how can i ever uh, how, what was what was his wording exactly how can i ever forget them mm-hmm. and i thought that was such yeah. strange wording at the time but having even done my short tenure on my comic strips uh you know comparatively speaking uh, i i just i can understand it completely how can you ever forget them they're like little people who live in your head yeah, yeah they certainly are right yeah. and you know i that reminds me actually talking about that um you know, another influence uh, was Keith Knight. You were talking about him on the last podcast, and you know, like he's been a real help, just kind of encouraging me over the years. I I met Keith like that was another one twenty twenty years ago or so at a small press expo, I think in in uh, in Maryland, and uh, yeah, back when he had dreads and everything, and he was one of those few <laughs> black cartoonists, and we yep. connected on that, and and then we you know would see each other at comic conventions over the years, and. And then uh, a few years ago, uh, I actually met with him at uh, the Charles Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa, California. You know, he was having a workshop, a cartooning workshop, and I had to sign up for it. I was like, are you kidding me? He's going to teach cartooning. And so I drove up there and it was it was was like it's like the pilgrimage or something. You You go up there and, you know, the museum is just beautiful. It just it makes you fall in love with being a cartoonist and and being able to see all of his original uh, comic strips. And they, you know, rotate the uh, the Mm -hmm. displays and all that. It's just it's just amazing to be there. But then also to to have uh, Keith kind of teach a lot of just comic strips. And at that time, I was kind of still in the early stages of, of making my comics. And so I really learned a lot from him. And then he, uh, you know, we had lunch together at the, at the ice rink there. Uh, and oh, man. It was, and we got a chance to talk about everything. And, and so it was just awesome. You know, like I definitely you know, owe a lot to his kind of advice and just also always kind of being there uh, for me when I need it. And, so yeah, Keith is just amazing, and I'm very proud of his success. I mean, he's got a TV show in the works now yes. and everything, and so he's, and he's wanted that. And I see he talked about that of just like even just living in LA, and I'm only going to give it a certain number of years of being here, but I really want to try to make this this TV show happen. And then finally, he was able to do it, and so it was another encouraging type uh, of of sign. And so, so it is possible, you know, like I see that it is possible for black creators, black cartoonists comic strip cartoonists to cross over and make it into all these different other media and to do it but it just it may take some time i mean keith's another guy that's just been out there for years but he never gave up and he kept going and he's doing it yes yeah he's de- he definitely is he's a brilliant cartoonist and he's uh he has carved his own path uh all yes, of those yes. years and right. it has been a long road i mean he's he's uh I mean, I don't want to cast any dispersions. He's not a young guy, <laughs> um, but he's been at it a long time. And uh, uh, and the strip, he's done a variety of different strips and a variety of different ways of connecting to his audience, each of which is Keith Knight, no matter what strip he's doing, whether That's it's, true. you know, uh, Think or whether it's Nightlife or it's, it's uh, something else. He's always connecting. He's always Keith Knight. And, but he finds a way to to work it out differently and i guess in that 
there's some inspiration and some something for what you've been talking about and what we've both been talking about and that is finding different outlets for your creativity this is a time i think when being chained to one thing for your entire life would would be the wrong I, i'm not sure that that's viable necessarily anymore in the same way as it was you know for the, the cartoonists of the newspaper era right. i think it's a different world and i think you you well it doesn't necessarily mean you give up on something you can also find other outlets because you, you you because that's the way the kind of diversity that exists in the media platform that we live in now right right so yeah you know uh and uh, he's a great example of somebody who's doing that and of course schultz was too yep. but you know a different era a different time mm-hmm. um and and different uh, situation but um but yeah, how great is that though? You know, uh, did you, did you go to, did you, you probably didn't have to do the Billy Ireland thing the other night. Uh, that, no, know. I didn't do that. And so I, I hope there's a recording. I didn't get a chance to, yeah, uh, they, to watch. So I want to, they did record the, it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be out there, but it was great. But it, you know, you've probably, if you've experienced his slide shows before, you've probably seen it before. So, but it was great. Uh, he was just really terrific, really great. And, uh, so funny. I mean, the comic strips are just so, <laughs> so they're so funny, but they're so true. And I, I think that's one of the things that hits you. Yes. How he takes these incidents and turns them into something blisteringly funny. And, yep. uh, you know, yeah. so, uh, you know, uh, we've covered a lot of ground again. I mean, we who would know we'd, we'd, we'd have so much, and I feel like there's still so much more to talk about. So we're going to have to do this again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It'd be <laughs> my know, pleasure yeah. in, the, in, in the future and, uh, sit down and have, uh, another talk because there's a lot to talk about in terms of, in the issues that we're raising here in terms of how comic strips develop and, and how they develop and what to expect in the in the media environment we exist in now yes. uh, it's it's a whole different ball game and figuring that all out is something i think we're all engaged in for sure in one way so okay well khalid thank you so much for yeah. being on the show today thank you jeff yeah this is a lot of fun and yeah thanks for, for <laughs> it's too for much fun time. all right it is it is it is it's it's too it's, much fun we, you know it's like we can keep going but uh you know, it's it's like, but we do have lives to lead, and we have other things. <laughs> That's true. Well, definitely, anytime that you like to have me back, that'd be great. And uh, if you ever want to have uh, me on with Tahid or any other, you know, oh, man. yeah, uh, absolutely, cartoonist, that would be great as well. But yeah, but definitely, it's uh, it's been uh, yeah, kind of a dream because I've been listening to your show, I think, from the beginning, and because you know, cartoonists talk, right, and they share. Right. Oh, oh, you got to hear this this new show. I thought it was just such. A, a, a smart idea of kind of linking everything to peanuts, but then being able to to talk about cartooning and then take it so seriously. I mean, you're you're really just so great at at, at breaking things down and and yeah, just really showing that this is an art form, and I appreciate that. So thank you, and keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you, thank you, Khalid, and uh, again, thanks for being on the show. All right, thanks, thanks, Jeff. Okay then, so I just want to say thank you again to Khalid Birdsong for making the time to be on the podcast, not once, but twice. Twice he's been on with me. 
and uh, look forward to having him on again. And be sure to check out his work, right? At Fried Chicken and Sushi. That's one word, Fried Chicken and Sushi. Don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> FriedChickenAndSushi.com. You can go there and check in with Khalid and see what he's up to. He's got a blog and uh, some other things there, as well as on GoComics.com. So at GoComics, of course, where you can read... Many of your favorite comics, you can also read Little Fried Chicken and Sushi there. And be sure to subscribe because that that's a big help, actually. The more subscribers a cartoonist gets, uh, the more ends up in his coffers at the end of every pay period or quarter or whatever it is. However, we used to get paid from Go Comics. <laughs> Not a lot of money, but every little bit helps, right? So uh, be sure to subscribe to Little Fried Chicken and Sushi at gocomics.com uh, also follow Khalid on Instagram Khalid Birdsong okay on Instagram that's K-H-A-L-I-D B-I-R-D S-O-N-G one word and on Instagram okay uh, you can keep up with all of Khalid's comics there you can also follow me on Instagram at Grogan Jeff right you've heard it ad nauseum uh, do I have to spell it? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F on Instagram. You can also follow my cartoons, my comics, on Spiking the Lens on Instagram. That's at Spiking the Lens. One word, S-P-I-K-I-N-G-T-H-E-L-E-N-S on Instagram. That's the only place you'll find those comics. And uh, what else do I... Oh, and Patreon, right? You can go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. And uh, again, you, by now you know how to spell it. And I'll leave it with that. Uh, any any amount that you can contribute towards this podcast, of course, is greatly appreciated. Join us there on Patreon. So, yeah, tomorrow, a new day. Tomorrow I'm heading off to the polls with my wife in tow together we always vote together it's always kind of a family ritual and I always feel proud right um, to do that it's always choked me up a bit going way back to the first time and uh, it still does exercising our right as citizens of this United States to try and make a better and more perfect union as we move forward so uh, that's that's on my plate. Uh, I'm hey, I just finished my first comic book in ten years, maybe even more, actually, because it's it's actually a rather conventional comic book, which is odd for me. I haven't done that in a long time, so I'm kind of excited about that, and I'm trying to find some place to publish it. So wish me luck <laughs> with that. Uh, it never turns out well. Anyway, uh, so and Kirby uh, Jack Jack Tober ended. I finished up my Jacktober stuff, uh, and you can follow that on Instagram. You can go see what I did for Jacktober, which is the celebration of Jack Kirby, one of the many variations of um, Jake Parker's Inktober, right? Uh, there's all kinds of them that have sprung up all over the place. Well, how that happened and why, I have no idea. Uh, but it's great to get people to draw, and for me, you know, aside from drawing Peanuts characters... Um, this one was a lot of fun because, of course, Jack Kirby's one of my heroes. And so you can check out what I did for Jacktober on Instagram. And uh, next year, maybe I'll do the Library of American Comics one. That one looked really cool. They were doing all, you know, comic strip characters, which, again, is in my wheelhouse. So, uh, <laughs> in my wheelhouse, what a phrase. Anyway, 
Uh, yeah, that'll do it for now. Uh, next time we've got Simon Beecroft on the show, and we're going to be talking about The Peanuts Book, uh, which is the latest in a long line of books celebrating our favorite comic strip. And this one's a great one. It is 90 minutes, two hours, whatever, of Schultz only. You know, It really just focuses on the wonderful world of Peanuts and Charles Schultz. And uh, it was a real joy to sit down and talk with Simon and this wonderful new book, um, which is a visual history of the comic strip. And it's terrific. If you haven't seen it yet, you should check it out. The Peanuts Book by Simon B. Croft and published by DK. So, um, yeah, that'll be up in a couple of weeks, right? Maybe, actually, I'll try to see what I can do and get it up next week. Uh, and then where we go from there, I'm not sure. I hope there's some new and, uh, you know, new things in the offing, some surprises in the future. But until then, be well. Be safe, be healthy, take care of your loved ones and yourself, and uh, be sure to exercise your right to vote tomorrow. And, uh, and if you're listening to this later, well, I'll see you there on the other side of the divide, right? Um, and until then, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.